Luke chapter 10 is where we're at. We're going to finish Luke chapter 10 uh, today. Let me uh, jump into it. You know, we've been looking at missional living. Missional living, living out a genuine faith and intentionally sharing that faith with other people. And living this way means that we serve both as missional ambassadors and also as merciful neighbors, seeking both to preach and to practice the message of Jesus Christ. But however, before we can represent Jesus as a missional ambassador, um, before we can imitate Jesus as a merciful neighbor, we have to first worship Jesus Christ as a mindful follower. And that's the big, big idea of our text today. We're looking at a familiar story of Mary and Martha, and, uh, and we're going to answer the question, how do we worship Jesus as a mindful follower? So let's just jump right in. Luke chapter 10, we pick it up where we left off. Verse 38, now it happened... As they went, that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him, Jesus, into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him, and she said, Lord, do you not even care that my sister has left me to serve? She's left me alone. That's what she says. Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered, and he said to her, Martha, Martha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Like, hey, Martha, Martha. It's interesting. Somebody pointed out to me, you know, Martha Stewart. You know, it's a good thing. No, it's not a good thing. So Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken from her. Mary and Martha, the text tells us, they're sisters, right? And they live in Bethany. Their brother is Lazarus, the dude that Jesus raises from the dead later on uh, in the gospel account. And um, we see Mary show up three times in the gospel narrative. Mary shows up, um, every single time that she's mentioned, she is at the Lord's feet. Beautiful, awesome picture of a worshipful heart. John chapter 11, what happens, Lazarus in that account has died, and Jesus comes, and what we see is that Mary falls at Jesus' feet, and she's mourning Lazarus' death. In John chapter 12, very next chapter, she is anointing Jesus' feet. Uh, in preparation for his burial. Beautiful picture of sacrificial worship there in John chapter 12. And Mary, again, is seen here in Luke chapter 10. And again, she's sitting at his feet, worshiping, listening to his word. Now, in contrast, Martha's also mentioned three times in the gospel narrative, all three three times in the same sections that her sister uh, is is mentioned. In John chapter 11, um, she... You know, Lazarus has died, and the story tells us she, she didn't even wait for Jesus to come into the house 
Mary was waiting for Jesus to come in and then threw herself at his feet and worshipped him. Martha doesn't wait for him to get inside. She gets word that he's on his way. She runs out and she, she greets him and man, she's just out with it. This is who she is. These are the ABCs of me. You get me, you get all of me. And so Jesus shows up and, and Martha runs out. Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Later on in the, in the story, Jesus, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and they've got him entombed, and he says, roll the stone away, and Martha's the one that protests. She says, that's a bad idea. It's been four days. He stinks by now. That's literally what the, what the Bible says. She goes, she protests and says, Lord, he stinks by now. If it's New King James, he stinketh by now. That's what it says. <clears throat> this is, this is uh, Martha. We see her show up again in John chapter 12, and again, what's she doing there? She's serving dinner at the house in Bethany. This is the same place, same time when, when Mary falls at Jesus' feet, anoints his feet with oil. Martha's the one serving dinner there in John 12. And then again here in Luke chapter 10, and here she is again, busy with much serving. Now, these instances, these little stories of Mary and Martha, they give us a glimpse into their personality profile kind of thing. We get an idea of just sort of what type of people they are. And you can tell right away, Martha's extroverted. Mary is introverted. Martha is the gal who's the pushy one. And Mary is the one who's the pensive one. Uh, Martha is the action-oriented person. And Mary is more contemplative. You know, Martha is, hey, there's three types of people in this world. There's these people that make things happen, there's people that watch things happen, and there's people that ask what happened, and I'm going to be in the first category. I make things happen, you know. That's who Martha is. Now, understand, this is her personality, but Martha's problem isn't her personality type. That's not her problem. There's a lot of examples of people who share Martha's personality type uh, in the scriptures as well as people that share Mary's personality type. I think the greatest illustration of of the contrasting personalities and those that serve Jesus is uh, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle John. Here you've got, in Peter, Peter's action-oriented. And John is more contemplative. And we see in the Gospels how their differing personalities sort of influenced how they served the Lord and how they're portrayed in the Scriptures. I'll give you a couple of examples. Take, for instance, the garden tomb. When Jesus rose from the dead, and they get word back that, you know, somebody's taken the Lord's body. And so John is telling the story in the, in the Gospel of John, and he, he tells us there that both he and Peter ran to the tomb. And uh, John, you know, ever the, you know, puts the little added touch in there to let us all know that he beat Peter to the tomb, that he's, he's faster in the race. But when John gets there, being the more contemplative one, he pauses at the door. Pauses at the door of the tomb. He doesn't go in. He's just looking in, you know, contemplatively. Peter gets there and he just pushes his way right in. Personality types, different the way they characterize in, in, in how they serve. Now, again, at the Sea of Galilee. Uh, they've, they've gone, they're fishing, uh, the Lord shows up, he's going to restore Peter, Peter doesn't know it yet, but there they are on the boat, and John's the one who contemplatively recognizes it's the Lord. And Peter, the second he heard it, hears it, clothes and all, just jumps right in, swims to shore. So you've got, you know, the, the contemplative one, and you've got the impulsive one. And it's not that one personality is right and the other is wrong, it's just that they're both different. Just different personalities. Now, Mary and Martha, in the story, the account here in Luke's gospel, they're often contrasted, excuse me, 
as an either-or choice. As an either-or choice. Either you're a worker or you're a worshiper. And, and I'm here to tell you that's not the lesson that our text teaches. It, the, it, the idea here isn't, oh, either you're, you're a you know, sinful worker or you're, or, or you're a godly worshiper. That is not the idea. Serving Jesus and worshiping Jesus, listen to me, they are not mutually exclusive activities. Serving Jesus and worshiping Jesus are not mutually exclusive. So what is it that this event teaches us? Well, I want you to look again there at verse 40. What's it tell us there? It tells us that Martha was distracted with much serving. She was distracted. That word distracted in the Greek, it's used in the passive voice, and the idea is to draw away from, to draw away from. In other words, what's happening here is that Martha is over-occupied with something that subtly draws her away from Jesus, and therein lies Martha's problem. The problem, and I'll put this on the screen for you. I hope you write it down, take a walk with it this week. The problem isn't that Martha was working. It's that her work stopped being worship. That's the thing. It's not that she was working that's the problem. It's that it stopped being worship. Somewhere along the way, the details drew her focus away from her devotion. Now, who here can relate? How many times, who here, honestly, have uh, the details have drawn us away from the devotion? All the Martha types, we just raise our hands right away. We're like, yep, that's me. And it, it happens. And, you know, what tends to happen, if you are more servant-oriented like Martha, or if you're in a place where the details have drawn you away from the devotion, regardless of what your personality type is, um, what often happens at this point is that somebody will talk to you. They, you know, because we see Martha's a mile away. And you're like, you know, gosh, you just, you know, <laughs> you just sucked all the, all the sunshine right out of the room with your bitter attitude, you know. And what often happens is that people will, will well-intentioned friends will step in and they'll say, you know what, the problem is that you're doing too much. To which my answer is, Maybe. Maybe you are doing too much. You know, it's been said that if Satan can't get you to take your foot off the gas, that he'll get you to put it to the floor. So, so maybe, maybe they're right. Maybe the problem is that you've taken on too much. But I, I would encourage you strongly to take a walk with that in prayer. Because, because the answer well may be that it's not that you're doing too much. There are seasons to our duties and our responsibilities. There are seasons to what God has called us to do. And sometimes it's just a busy season. Sometimes the things that we have to do that are godly ordained things are going to be inconveniencing. Just because it's, it's something that is potentially overwhelming or seems like a heavy load doesn't mean that it is not God-ordained. Because serving Jesus is at its core, at its root, it's sacrificial. That which costs nothing is worth nothing. There should be a cost to our serving of Jesus. And so, so what I would say is, maybe it's true that you've, that you've taken on too much. Well, maybe it's not. Maybe the truth is, you're just doing it with the wrong heart. And that's Martha's problem here. She's doing it with the wrong heart. See, Martha's not wrong in working hard for Jesus. 
Her problem is that she left Jesus out of, the, out of the equation. Somewhere along the line, she left Jesus. And now, you know, she's overwhelmed. In other words, here's what I'm saying. I'll put this on the screen. It is not an amount of work problem. It's an absence of worship problem. That's the deal here. The Bible says here, Colossians 3.23, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working <clears throat> for the Lord rather than for people. That word willingly in, in the Greek, it means literally work from the soul. That's the idea. Work from the soul. The idea is that our work, when it is from the soul that we are doing the things that we're doing, that is an act of worship when it's from our soul. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, worship is at the heart of all that we are and all that we do in the Christian life. Worship's at the heart of it. So Martha's issue here isn't that her serving was uninspired. No, her issue, not that her serving was unspiritual. Here's her issue. It became unspiritual when she stopped doing it from her soul. Let me ask you a couple of questions. What are you doing in your life that has become unspiritual? What is it today in your life that you have stopped doing from your soul, that has stopped being an act of worship? Maybe at one time it was an act of worship, but maybe it has stopped being an act of worship. What in your role as mom or dad at one time was an act of worship, and now it stopped being an act of worship. You moms can identify with this. You got your little kids at home. They are sucking you dry. You can't even go to the bathroom without a little set of fingers coming in underneath the, the, the door. Mommy, you know. And at some point, maybe it just stops being worship. It just gets to the place to where it, it's not coming from your soul anymore. As a husband, as a wife, what is it that was once worship? What is it that once came from your soul and has stopped being that? As a brother or as a sister in Christ, as a, as a servant in the household of God, what is it that was once worship that now has gotten away from that? As we take a walk with that question, it's helpful to consider as we look at Martha, what is it that caused Mar Martha to stop serving from her soul. Well, look again as you consider that question. Look at verses 40 and 41. What happens? What's, Martha, what's going on with her? She says to the Lord, my sister has left me to serve alone. That's her attitude. And you, Jesus, tell her to help me for crying out. You don't, don't you even care? Like you should tell her to help me. Now, you know it's a problem when you're fronting off Jesus, Okay? And, and so she's like, hey, this is what you should do. And Jesus, this is where he steps up. He says there, Martha, Martha, look, you are worried and you're troubled about many things. In, in, in the Greek, this word worried, literally it means anxious with cares. And troubled means that you are you're, uh, disturbed and you're disrupted. Now, what is it in truth that where's this disturbing disruption coming from with Martha well, here's the problem. Martha's frustrated because everybody has not received the memo that her gift and her duties are more important than everybody else's. It's pretty harsh. Let me say it in a more harsh way. Martha's upset. Everybody hasn't gotten the memo that she's God. That she's God. 
And so, hey, y'all, I don't care what you're doing. You need to understand things are not going like I think that they should go. You're not doing what I think that you should be doing. And, you know, all of my tasks, all of my divine supernatural plans, that everybody ought to just get the memo that they should be doing what I want, well, those aren't being fulfilled. And now I'm disturbed, I'm disrupted, and I'm anxious because people don't recognize that my gifts, my calling, and my tasks are the top of the list. They're the most important. I love what David Guzik said in his commentary. He said, there are many people who become crabby and irritable in their service for the Lord like Martha was. It's easy to look at all we do and to criticize those who don't seem to do as much, but Martha's real problem, here it is, wasn't Mary, it was Martha. Martha's real problem is Martha. She had become distracted and she'd taken her eyes off Jesus. Now let's talk about gifting for a minute. Turn to, uh, to first, uh, first Corinthians chapter 12. It's to your right. First Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read several verses here. So if you make your way over there, that would be good. We'll be coming back here, obviously, to Luke 10. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, here's what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And why is he writing this? Because they were ignorant. And he's saying, you're ignorant, I don't want you to be, so let me tell you about them. Skip down to verse 4. He says, there's diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. In other words, the Spirit manifests Himself in you, the members of the body of Christ, in different ways, with different giftings. And the whole point is it's for the profit of everybody when everybody does their part, when everybody does their share. Um, He says in verse 8, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, uh, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit. This is not, by the way, an exhaustive list. It's not like when we get to the end of this, we go, oh, that's all the Spirit is given. No, he gives lots of gifts and so on. Paul's just given a sampling here. Verse 10, he says, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another differing kinds of tongues, uh, to another the interpretation uh, of tongues. But he says, uh, one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing, here it is, listen, to each one individually as he wills. Okay, God pours out gifts. And he strengthens some of you in some areas. He strengthens others of you in in other areas. He he calls us uniquely to serve him in varying capacities, in varying ways. Uh, And he says, verse 12, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ, for by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we've all been made to drink into one Spirit, for in fact the body is not one member, but many. 
If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If, Mary should, if Martha should say, Mary, uh, you know, you should come and serve me because what I'm doing is most important. You get the idea, right? Uh, if the whole body were an eye, where would they be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Just as he pleased. Don't you care, Lord, that my, my sister Mary is not helping me? Hey, uh, you, you're not in charge. Sit down. You, 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 you're not there. He says, and if all were one, um, it, verse 19, and if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. See, see, the issue here is that God gives people differently. I'll tell you what I've seen as a pastor. I've been a pastor going on 30 years. And I see this, that God gifts people differently. And we have a tendency to be very passionate about what God has called us to do. And we should be. You know, we, 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 should, we should give, God deserves our best. We ought to, we, you know, there's, we should, at the end of our lives, it would be like, you know, a football game. When you come in at the end of the football game, I hope you've left it all on the field, man. That, that, that you ain't, you're not bringing anything back to the locker room. That you, that you I mean, you just kind of limping in, just, you know, clawing your way in. I'm gassed, I'm done, I've given it all. That's the way we should be with our gifts. But here's what I've noticed. I've noticed we have a tendency to think that everybody should be passionate about what we're passionate about. I remember I was having a conversation with a missionary. And an international missionary, missionary, crazy, uh, completely passionate about what he did. And he should be, he's doing wonderful things for the Lord. But basically, he, he had this attitude and he was he was essentially, in the course of the conversation, saying that everybody should be internationally serving in missions. And I told him, dude, no, of course we should be serving. And we're called to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. There is an international emphasis to it. That's what the church should be about. But the church is made of a bunch of different members. We're not all called to go internationally on the mission field. And, and so it, it turned into a little bit of a pushback, and I just stopped, and I said, look, how are you supported? Now, he knew immediately where I was going and, and started to kind of put up argument. I said, no, 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 how are you supported? Aren't you, in fact, supported by four different churches? Now, what if, every, if everybody was there with you? They're not going to be able to support you. No, what's happening is that you've got people who are, are serving in Jerusalem that can take care of you who are going to the ends of the earth, and it's all important. It's not like the Lord's only working there. No, the, the, the person who's, who's changing diapers for the mom who's able to come and go to church and receive from the Lord is... is Every bit is serving their Lord and Savior in a sacrificial way as you are in, in the jungles of Borneo or wherever it was. That's not where this person was from, but just that's the, that's the idea. That's the example. So, so the issue is, is that we have a tendency to think more highly of our gifts and maybe down on somebody else. But listen, different parts of the body are designed to do different things. Frankly, I thank God for that. 
I thank God for that. Because you know what? We gather here today. We're here on a Sunday. In part, we're here because there's some guys in orange vests who stand out in the parking lot sweltering in the sun that help us to get in and navigate our way through the parking lot and find a parking place. And God bless them. And what would it be if those guys came in here? They would never do this. But what if they came walking in uh, you know, last week when it was hotter than the face of the sun out there, and they come to me and say, what are you doing, man? Why aren't you out here with an orange vest on helping us to park cars? I mean, isn't that, isn't that important? Don't you even care that we're doing that? To which I would say, yeah, I care, but I've got something else that I have to do. Like, and, and, and it's they're both important, you know? And so the idea here is that Different parts of the body are responsible to do different things, and the hand doesn't take its orders from the foot, does it? No, where does the hand take its orders from? Where does the foot take its orders from? Physiologically speaking, it's from the brain, right? When the body of Christ, it's the same thing. Martha, I don't think you got the memo. Mary doesn't take her marching orders from you. By the way, neither does Jesus. Mary takes her marching orders from God. She, she is responsible to the Lord. She's going to stand or fall to the Lord. It is to the Lord that she does her work. That she, that, and by the way, just in one of those instances I mentioned where Mary is, was, is mentioned in Scripture, when she's anointing the, the feet of the Lord in preparation for his, for his burial, and all these people are scoffing at what she's doing, among them Judas Iscariot, who's complaining about all the money that she spent that it could have been used for the poor, but he really didn't care about that because he was used to steal from the money box, so he was just basically saying, that's more money I could have stolen for myself. Uh, the scriptures tell us that. But as they were ridiculing Mary, one of the things that Jesus said is, she has done a good work for me. See, see we can't define what work is for somebody else. And what happens so often, let's just put this in our home. Mom, you are up to here. You're, you're just, it has stopped being worship and from your soul. And, and you're just lucky that, that you know, you haven't just gotten in the car and just driven east and just kept going. <laughs> right? Just be thankful I'm still here kind of thing. But what happens is, is that the husband comes home and what do you want to do? You want to be able to say, hey, I'm angry at you. Well, because, man, you should be helping me do what I'm doing. To which the husband might say, look, I'm worshiping the Lord by like, trying to provide for the family. I get, I get that I'm just talking about you know, 1950s classic, you know, husband works, wife stays home, and then not everybody does that. But there's this ongoing fight about, you know, hey, what are you doing? What am I doing? Husbands, you're not left a- a- immune from that. And you start, you know, getting on your wife. Why don't you work? Why don't you, you know, help me provide? You start putting your curse on her. Right? So, so the issue here is that we need to understand that, that we're all gifted. We're all called in different ways. And the issue here for Martha, hey, it's not all about you and, and everything doesn't revolve around you and, and you're... You're not the Lord. You're becoming crabby and irritable in your service, and it's all because you've taken your eyes off Jesus. By the way, Peter did a similar thing. Martha's fronting Jesus off here. Peter did a similar thing. You remember in Matthew's gospel? Jesus is talking about how he's going to go to the cross, how he's going to suffer, and he's going to die. And Peter starts to rebuke Jesus. He's like, no, that's not how it's going to work. 
They knock it off, you know, and it, so he starts rebuking Jesus, and Jesus rebukes him right back. Matthew 16, 23, he, he, Jesus, turned, said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you're an offense to me, for, here it is, here's the correlation, you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And that's what's going on with Martha right here. She's not mindful of the things of God, she's mindful of the things of Martha. And, and that, that's a huge problem. So what does Jesus say in, in verse 42? He says, Mary has chosen that good part, that good part. Literally in the Greek, that, that good part, here's what it means. It means that which is good in its character and beneficial in its effect. Mary has chosen that which is good in its character and beneficial in its effect. Now again, understand, this isn't an either-or thing. That's not what's being communicated here. It's a both-and thing. It's both and. It's the issue of the heart. It's not that Mary has failed to serve. It's that Mary, in her service, kept her heart and kept that place where service and worship, the lines weren't blurred. It was very clear for her. She kept it clear. Let me articulate what I'm saying this way. Many of you have heard the infamous story of my 24th anniversary, okay? My 24th anniversary, short version for those of you that haven't heard it, is that I took my wife to Palm Springs to a nice hotel, and I, I took her out, I'd taken her out to, to a nice lunch. It was a really nice setting. It was all cool. Everything was awesome. Like, those of you that haven't heard the story, ladies, that sounds pretty good, right, for an anniversary? Doing good so far. Those of you that are laughing, you've heard the rest of the story, I forgot it was our anniversary. We were there for a conference. And so my wife looks at me and she says, what's the date today? Ladies, if you ever want to mess with your husband, just out of the blue, just say that to him. Say, hey, what's the date today? Just watch him lose their mind. Anyway, what's the date today? I'm like, oh. I said, it's June 4. Oh, man. And so then, I mean, I should have just apologized at that point. I tried to do the backstroke and, and worm my way out of it. I'm like, oh, but, but we're staying in a nice place. I, mean, I took you to, to, to a nice place, right? Here's the deal. The Apostle Paul, when he's talking to the church in Corinth, and he's saying, hey, let me talk to you about spiritual gifts. Let me talk to you about how you all have different gifts and how they fit and how each part does its share. He then moves from that chapter, and we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and now Paul starts talking about, hey, what, that which is good in its character and beneficial in its effect, right? The good part of why we do what we do. He says this, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Ironically, this was, was probably read at so many weddings, right? I think about my anniversary. I took you to a nice place. Yeah, it's sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. Jesus, don't you care? Make my, my sister help me. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. 
thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. It's like this. Jim Cimbala, pastor of a church in, in New York, talking at a worship conference. He's talking to worship leaders, and he says to them this. He says, listen, I want you to understand, it's not if you're on your note, it's why you're on your note. It's not if you're on your note, it's why you're on your note. It's not if you serve, it's why you serve. It's the heart behind why we do what we do. And Jesus says, listen, the why you're on your note, that's the good part. He says, that's the one thing that's needed. That's the one thing that's needed. The Bible has a lot to say about that one thing, by the way. Paul told the Philippians this. He said, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus, speaking to the rich young ruler, Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 10, he said to him, you still lack one thing, come and follow me. The psalmist said this, one thing. Have I desired of the Lord? That will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Hey, listen, the moral of the story, it's not either you're a worker or you're a worshiper. That's not the moral of the story. It's about worshiping God in all that you do and keeping the main thing, the main thing. Whatever you do, Paul said, do all to the glory of God. Here's my question. Are you doing that? Are you doing all to the glory of God? Is there an area in your life where it has stopped being worship and it's just become work? Are you not doing it to the glory of God? I like the way Charles Wesley sums up the balance of doing all to the glory of God. He sums it up in one of his hymns. He says this, faithful to my Lord's commands, I would still choose the better part, serve with careful Martha's hands, and loving Mary's heart. It's about balance. It's not either or. I'm going to close with this, and I flat out ripped this off from David Guzik, but he did such a great job, I said, I'm doing that, all right? He says this, one may say that this account from the life of Jesus shows us three types of people who say that they follow Christ. And so here's the three types of people, and I want you to listen to this, and I want you to just take an honest walk, you and God, and you answer, which one of these types are you in, in relation to this bigger truth of this lesson of Mary and Martha? He says, there are people like Mary, those who know how to serve while also sitting at Jesus' feet. This is the ideal. This is the takeaway. This is what we strive for. Lord, help me to be a faithful servant. That's what we hope to hear in heaven, right? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So, Lord, help me to be a good and faithful servant, and at the same time, help me to have a worshiping heart. Help me not to, to lose sight of you, lose my joy. He says, secondly, there are people like Martha, those who diligently and with the best intention serve God, but without adding the one thing, a continued focus on Jesus, and it results in great frustration. Some of us to take away today is I got to take a walk back and just go, Lord, I've lost sight of you, my first love. 
and I'm doing the right things, but I'm doing them for all the wrong reasons. Have mercy on me, Lord. But he says there's a third type of people, and that's the people who don't do either. They're not even in the house with Jesus, for they're too busy with their own pursuits. We have to take a walk with the Lord and say, Lord, is, is that me? I realize we're all in the house of God. But am I in the house serving Jesus, worshiping Jesus? Am I here physically? Franklin check mark on, you know, Franklin planner, I got the check mark in there. Yeah, I went to church. But really, I'm absentee. That's the question. I'm one of these three people. That's the question we need to answer today.